Ephesians chapter 5 today, so open up your Bibles there. Leave them open today too because we're going to be in them pretty much all morning. So uh, as you guys are turning there, uh, just to let you know if you're new here, we are continuing on in our series all about evangelism, sharing our faith. At the very center of who we are as God's people is the gospel. And we were meant to go share that. And so, as you guys are turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to think about two big life questions. Two big worldview questions. And the first one is, who are we? Who are we? At the very core of of who we are, what is our identity? And the second is, what is our purpose in life? So we're going to tackle both of those big questions today. Um, And if you're taking notes, be looking for the answer to the question, who are we? So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll read a few verses that Paul wrote here. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks 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 be to God. So again, we're going to be looking at that question, who are we? And there are two answers to that question. But Paul begins this uh, passage in in a pretty interesting place. He writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and that phrase in Christ is kind of a weird phrase that we're probably not used to, but Paul uses this phrase all throughout the New Testament. And every time that Paul uses this phrase referring to uh, us being in Christ, he's referring to us having this intimate relationship with Jesus. We're very familiar with the understanding that Christ is in us. But biblically speaking, we are also in Christ. Not only is Christ in us, but we are in Christ. Not only do we just have this relationship with Jesus, but really biblically speaking, a better way to put it is we have a union with Jesus. So this is why all throughout the New Testament, Paul writes, we have been crucified with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We're seated with Christ at the right hand of God. How are all these things possible? Well, it's because we are in Christ. We are united with him. And he goes on to say, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And so Paul is saying at that very moment, that you are regenerated, the very moment that you are born again, that you trust in Jesus Christ Uh, for the gospel as soon as you believe that your old self is gone and a new self has come 
This means you are no longer walking according to your sins, right? But you're walking in step with your Savior. This means your purpose, again, here's that purpose word. Your purpose is no longer to serve yourself. But your purpose, if you are in Christ, is to serve Jesus. If you're a new person, you have a new purpose. So whatever your purpose was in life before you became a follower of Jesus, that purpose is dead, the old you is gone, and the new has come. If you're a new person in Christ, you have a new purpose. Verse 18, he writes, all of this is from God. All of this referring to verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Right? He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now, I want to take some time and just talk about that, that second phrase on the screen. That God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, think of what Paul was like before he knew Jesus, right? He wasn't a good man. Paul, he was Saul. He persecuted Christians. He hated Christians. And really, it was because of Paul and his persecution that in the days, weeks, and months following Jesus' death, that many other Christians died, right? Paul writes that he himself was an enemy of God in Romans chapter 5. So he wasn't a good dude. He was an enemy of God. And scripture tells us because Paul, who wrote this, was an enemy of God, he was separated from God, right? Think, think about reconciliation. Paul and God were not one in Christ, right? They were separated by sin. And because of that sin, Paul was de deserving of death, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. He deserved the eternal wrath of God. Why? Because he was a sinner. This is what Paul deserves in Orchard Hill. This is what you and I deserve. Not to be reconciled in Christ, but we deserve to be separated from God. We deserve the wrath of God. That was Paul's future, and apart from Christ, that is our future. And before we get to the good news this morning, I think it'd be beneficial to really remind ourselves who we are apart from Jesus. Be reminded. Do you remember what it was like to be apart from Christ? Do you remember what it was like to have no hope? Do you remember what it was like to walk in your sin? To have no hope, no unity with God? Do you remember what it was like to not have abundant life in Christ? I definitely do. And it's really in that way of thinking that verse 18 is such good news for us Paul writes God reconciled us to himself through Christ we're separated from God but it is through Christ that God himself reconciled us to himself that is some great news for us now, I want to continue to talk about this word reconciliation before we move on so Stacy come on up I've asked Stacy to join me, um, and while she's making her way up here, most of us understand earthly reconciliation, right? Usually there's two parties involved, or two people, there is an offending party who does wrong, and there is the offended party who was wrong, and you can probably see where this is going. 
Uh, but but Stacy, let's let's show this here. When we got married, we were yeah. It was a long time ago, Nick. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> we were uh, you know uh, reconciled. We were one, and um, you know when we when we got married, like all people, we bring some bad habits into marriage, right? And uh, if this is a symbol, a physical representation of our state in marriage now, when we got married, uh, I'll just tell you a story. I had a few bad habits that I brought into our marriage. And <laughs> I know, it's unbelievable, right? But um, if you know me, it takes me about an hour to wake up in the morning. Like, I'll get up. The very first thing I do is start a pot of coffee and uh, once I do that, I just stumble into the shower, take a shower to get woke up, and then I take my coffee to the couch or my Bible, and the next half hour is just spent waking up through coffee and Jesus, and it's wonderful. But all that to say, when we got married, I would go, first thing, start my pot of coffee, go into the shower, take a shower, I'm still half asleep, and I would just get out of the shower, begin getting ready. But I would always forget to shut the curtain uh, the shower curtain, right? I don't know why that's a big deal. <laughs> Stacy likes to look at the shower curtain, and for me, I'm good with looking at the bathtub. But anyway, I would get out, and I would never shut that. But furthermore, I would stumble with my towel into my room. I would begin to change my clothes, and there's no real good place to put my towel in our room, so I just put it on our bed, my wet towel on the bed. Oh, Rob, it's not that big a deal, no. So, <laughs> so I would often put my wet towel there for 30 seconds while I get all my clothes and then I'd go back into the bathroom. Uh, but we all know, probably because I'm half asleep still, there are many days where I leave my wet towel on the bed. Now, when Stacy gets home from work, it's not a pleasant sight, right? I experience the wrath of Stacy. And very quickly, our relationship that looks like this, a reconciled relationship, begins to look more like this, right? And in order for any earthly relationship to be reconciled, usually the offending party, the one who does wrong, goes up to the one who was wronged. And you probably start with an apology. And, you know, you could always bring a peace offering to Stacy, like some chocolate chip cookie dough. And that goes a long way. And if I go with an apology and maybe a peace offering, I can do something to earn her forgiveness. And if I say sorry, because she's such a saint, she would forgive me. She always has, even though I've done it 100, probably 200 times. Um, she still loves me, right? Why I do this illustration is to illustrate in all earthly relationships, we are used to the person who was doing wrong, going and earning their, their forgiveness or doing something to initiate reconciliation, right? Uh, Stacy doesn't have to go and say, Greg, we're reconciled, but usually I go offer an apology. This is how earthly relationships work. You're good. Thank you, Stacy. <laughs> yes, she can... She can deserve a uh, big round of applause for putting up with me. No. But guys, I say that to switch directions. That is not a picture of godly reconciliation. 
That is not a picture at all about what God did with us. We did nothing to come to God, right? Read Paul's words in verse 18. God himself, the one who was wronged, reconciled us to himself through Christ. We have done nothing to earn this reconciliation. And we're going to get into the details. How did God go about reconciling us to himself? The word is through Christ. And the details are found in verse 21. So you can skip down to verse 21. How did God reconcile us to himself? God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I'm a very visual person, so I want to do something here. Um, we're talking about godly reconciliation. How did God go about reconciling us? It says that God made him who had no sin. So, righteousness, let this uh, represent Jesus, right? God made Jesus who had no sin. He, 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 he loved Jesus. Jesus never sinned. He was a pure, spotless, blameless Lamb of God, right? And uh, even though Jesus was righteous, this text says God made him who had no sin to be sin. This does not mean that Jesus became a sinner, but that Jesus became a sin bearer. Think the Old Testament sacrificial system. Jesus, he was a pure, spotless lamb of God who was sacrificed for our sins. Our sins were placed upon Jesus. And it is there that the wrath of God was poured out upon his only son, Jesus. It is there that the wrath of God was satisfied. But it goes on to say, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther calls this the, the glorious exchange. Our sins are placed upon Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness is placed upon us. This is how God reconciled us to himself. It's through Christ. And this brings us to my first point. Who are we? We are reconciled to God. We are people who are reconciled to God through Christ. And we as followers of Jesus must claim this. This is at the very core of our identity. Point number one, who are we? We are reconciled to God. And it is at this point that we just see not a 180, but maybe a, a 90 degree shift in the text, right? Paul was talking about how we are reconciled to God, and now he is, is turning right, a sharp turn, to talk about in light of that, what are we to do now? And so let us go on uh, through verse 18. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So Paul and his fellow workers here, they are reconciled to God through Christ, and now Paul immediately begins talking about what their responsibility is. Because of the fact that they have been reconciled of God, 
God has given them the ministry of reconciliation. And the second thing is the message of reconciliation. And I love the ESV translation. Is it says that God has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So Paul and his co-workers who were writing this letter, right? they, they said we're reconciled to God, and that means now we are reconcilers for God. The reconciled have become the reconcilers. The reconciled now have a job to go out into this world. Paul elaborates on this in verse 20. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So again, therefore, referring back to what we just read, because Paul was reconciled to God, he automatically thinks, God has entrusted to me the message of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. And if we put those two things together, that means I am an ambassador. Now, an ambassador in the first century, um, I mean, we, we kind of know what ambassadors are, right? But ambassadors in the first century, they were representatives of kings. They were spokespersons for kings. And so, uh, really, if you think about a, a first century empire, right, a king couldn't be everywhere in his empire all at the same time. They're riding horses or walking. Um, and, and so it was slow travel, right? And so the king of all empires, they would have ambassadors. And these ambassadors, their sole job was to represent the king and to speak on behalf of the king. Now think about that in terms of sharing the gospel. If we are Christ's ambassadors, that means everywhere we go, our job is to represent Jesus Christ. And our job is to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ. And this is obvious because in verse 20, what does the last uh, phrase say? God, we're making his appeal through us, right? So Paul clearly has this idea of a first century ambassador. And so this leads me to our second point, the second answer to that question. Who are we? Not only are we reconciled to God, but if we have been reconciled to God, that means now we are ambassadors for God. Automatically, right? No questions asked. And I want you to think about how God has been working throughout history, right? God has always been taking the people that he has reconciled to himself to go be reconcilers among the nations. Genesis 12 makes a covenant with Abraham, says, Abraham, we're good. Now go bless, be a blessing to the rest of the nations. Think about the nation of Israel, Exodus. They enter into a covenant. They're one. They're reconciled. What does he tell them? Go be a light to the nations. Think about Peter. We just talked about this in Luke chapter 5, right? Jesus said, Peter, we're good. Now go be a fisherman for men. Think about uh, that, the crazy, naked, demon-possessed guy in the tombs along the, the Sea of Galilee there. Jesus said, hey, we're good. Now go to your town and tell all that I've done for you. Paul, Paul, you used to hate me. You were an enemy of me, but we're reconciled. Now go be a reconciler, right? God is in the business of taking those he has reconciled and using them to be ambassadors all around the world. And so Orchard Hill, I want to make this clear. 
This is God's methodology to redeem the world. This is God's way of redeeming all the world. Taking those people that he has reconciled to himself and using those people to be ambassadors. One pastor, I forget his name, he's down in Texas, but uh, he says, this is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. (laughs) I love that quote. This is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. God is taking us, people who are reconciled, to go be reconcilers. So, at this point, I feel like many of you are beginning to get nervous, shrinking back in your seat, getting the sweaty palms, because the average Christian doesn't really love to talk about Jesus. <laughs> the average Christian would claim they don't know how to talk about Jesus. The average person in the sanctuary would say, I don't even know what it looks like to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. In order to tell you are in luck today, because this week a light bulb went on in my brain, Paul gives us the very message that we are to go out and share. And it's at the end of verse 20 and verse 21. So if you're getting nervous about what is this message of reconciliation, he calls it right here. Be reconciled to God. Right? He's going out, he's writing to these Corinthians. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 27 words. I have faith that if you and I have been reconciled to God, we can take ownership of these 27 words. Think about it. If, if your mind likes thinking about things structured, right? Think about the message of reconciliation being in three different parts. First, be reconciled to God, right? We're going to people who are far from Christ and saying, you need Jesus, right? In a loving way, but be reconciled to God. Scriptures tell us that if we are in our sins, We are separated from God, deserving physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. You and I are deserving of the eternal wrath of God, right? Therefore, we're going to people in our our spheres of influence saying, be reconciled to God. But we don't end there. Paul gives them how they can be reconciled to God. And again, just to review, right? God made him who had no sin... He's completely righteous, completely holy. God made him who had no sin, oops, sorry, Wendy, (laughs) to be sin for us. And again, this does not mean that Jesus became a sinner, but that he became a sin bearer, that he took on our sins, and that Jesus experienced the wrath of God for our sins. The wrath of God was satisfied through Jesus' death on the cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin. Why? So that we might become righteous. So that we might be seen as righteous in God's eyes. In Orchard Hill, it is as simple as that. You don't have to know every detail of the Bible. God is in the business of taking those people, screwed up people, imperfect people, people who don't know everything, to go out into the world and say, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become his righteousness. Every single one of us, if we have experienced this, we can go out and share that message. We can go out there and do the work of Jesus. So, 
in review. Who are we? At the very core of who we are, if we are in Christ, we are reconciled to God, and that means we are ambassadors for God. Now I want to close this message by uh, just making it applicable to our lives. What should I do in response to this message? And I have two things for you. First, if you are in this sanctuary and you are not in Christ, God has given you a chance to be reconciled to him. And so if you are in this place walking in your sin, walking in rebellion to God, the truth of the Bible says you are separated from God and you deserve to pay the penalty of your sin. But hear the good news today that Jesus wants to take your sin. He wanted to pay the penalty of your sin so that you might appear righteous in the eyes of God. And so please, if you are not reconciled to God here today, make sure you come up front after the service and let's make that happen today so we can continue to light this candle, so we can continue to celebrate what God is doing. God loves you, but if you are apart from him, you can't be in him. God wants that for you. Secondly, many of us in this place are reconciled to God, right? We, we have repented of our sin. We've, we've walked away from our, our selfish way of living and have trusted in Jesus for salvation. Now, as we talked about all morning, if you are in Christ and you've been reconciled to God, this now means you are an ambassador for God. And I want you to think back to the very beginning of this message. I ask you, what is your identity? What is your purpose? Why do you exist? Why do you live your life? What is your life about? And I want to say at the very center of who you are, you are reconciled to God, and that means you are an ambassador. And so, students, first and foremost, you're not an athlete. First and foremost, you're not a student. First and foremost, you have been reconciled to God, and now you're an ambassador for God. Adults, first and foremost, you're not a business person. First and foremost, you don't work on a factory line. First and foremost, you're not a teacher. First and foremost, you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. God is making his appeal through us. And now, as as I reflect on my own life, and as I reflect really on uh, our church's life, it seems that so many of us, want people to be reconciled to Christ, but we just get distracted from that, right? And this is why I want to remind you this morning about who you are, because your identity always influences your actions. How you answer that question, who are you, really determines what you do. Your identity always influences your actions. And so if you believe, first and foremost, you're a business person, that's what your life is going to be about. If you solely think you're a mother, right, that's what your life is going to be about. If you're a teacher, uh, if you think your identity is found in being a teacher, right, that's what your life is going to be about. But if your identity is found in being reconciled to God and now an ambassador for Jesus Christ, that is what your life is going to be about. 
My favorite verse in all the Bible, I know I've shared this with you before, is Acts 20, 24. And uh, Paul wrote this, the same guy who wrote 2 Corinthians. He says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul, in everything who he is, he writes this and says, I consider my life, my old self, my own goals, my own purposes, my own strivings for life worth nothing to me. Crinkle them up and throw them in a trash can. He says, my only aim, my only goal is to finish the goal that Jesus has given to me. The task of being an ambassador. For Paul, he was so laser-focused, and I hope that we can begin to be laser-focused too. I want to encourage you, if you've been reconciled to Jesus, live your life as a missionary every single day. And I love missionary mindsets, because if you view yourself as a missionary every single day, you're going to be intentional about where you get coffee in the morning. If you view yourself as an ambassador of Christ, you're going to be intentional about where you get gas, who you talk to at the grocery store. If you're a missionary here in America, you're going to be very intentional about those conversations that you have with your family and your friends and your coworkers. But so many of us get wrapped up in the singing, I've been reconciled to God. Yes. And then we just go about lives as normal. But biblically speaking, Orchard Hill, you have been reconciled to God. That makes you an ambassador of God. And so let us embrace that missionary mindset today. So, I think there are millions of people in our spheres of influence here in America, right? We have family, friends, teammates, co-workers that we can share the gospel to, that we need to plead to be reconciled. But also, as Bryce has taught us, there are over three billion people in our world who've never heard the name of Jesus. And I hope, I truly hope somebody today will say, you know what, today is the day that I'm going to choose to go to the nations. I'm going to follow in Paul's footsteps and go to the unreached people. I'm going to follow in Bryce's footsteps and go to the unreached people. And again, if that is you and God is nudging you to that, be obedient to that call. So I want to uh, invite Wendy uh, to come on up and um, she is going to just play some music for us. And we are going to uh, reflect on a question. And I beg you today, don't just hear the word, but be a doer of the word. And so the question I want you to think about as we close is this. Who do I need to go share Christ with? Who do I need to go reconcile to God? Who can I bring this message to? And I challenge you to do it today. Do it this week. Don't put it off. Because as Paul wrote, God is making his appeal through you. So why don't we just bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's ponder this question. Maybe he's calling you to the nations. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a, a friend. Maybe it's a husband, a wife, maybe it's a son, maybe it's a daughter. Ponder this question for a, for a moment or two and then I'll close this in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer this morning, being so thankful that you are a God who loves us, cares for us. Thank you for being a God who initiated reconciliation.